we thank you for such privilege of remembering you before this day. And now, Lord, as we turn to, to your word, we pray, would you, Lord, speak to each one of our hearts? It is your word, Lord. Only you can open and speak to us. So Lord, we pray, would you grant us in this hour to be in your presence at your feet? Would you take this hour, this time, in your own hands, Lord, and bless it with something of you? Would you breathe, Lord Jesus, the word of life into each one of our hearts? And we pray, Lord, that as a result there would be indeed a closer walk with you. So we commit the time into your hands once again. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would be in charge of speaking, translating, and hearing. And we trust that He will glorify the Lord Jesus in our midst. We ask the things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Can we turn to the theme verse uh, for this time, which is found in Revelation chapter 12? As, uh, in case some of you are not aware, uh, usually the way the Lord has been leading us is that we consider for a certain season or period of time a certain passage as a main theme here in this gathering at Flush. And as the brothers were considering before the Lord, they felt led to meditate, to use as the main verse for this season, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. So we'll ask you to turn to Revelation chapter 12. We would like to read again since the, from the beginning of the chapter for context. So let's start from verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to get to give birth. Verse three. And another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven, and threw them to the earth. 
And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when he, she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Tito 他的孩子被提到神宝座那里去。弟兄胜过他是因羔羊的血和自己的见证的道。We'd like to add some, two other scriptures in this, for this time. And going a little back to 1 John chapter 5. Some scholars believe that the epistles of John are probably his last writings. <coughs> 那有一些圣经的学者认为说，这个约翰的书信是他所写的最后的一些著作。So very likely, the words that we're going to read now, he wrote after he received the revelations that are in the book of Revelation.那很可能就是他在他写这些书信是在他写启示录或是他得着启示录的启示之后所写的。I will ask you to keep that in mind, and we are going to read First John chapter five, two verses, verse four and five.那我们。for whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that overcomes the world our faith and who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the son of God and finally, we'd like to read two verses from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. <laughs> 
Our brother Dana shared with us two weeks ago on this passage from Revelation chapter 12. And somehow he already touched on the context of the verse that you're considering. Our verse reads, They, a group of people, overcame him, referring to the dragon, to Satan. And then it gives you three reasons for that overcoming. And of course, the question that must come to our minds as we are reading this is, who is that they that John is seeing here in the vision? Who is the they, that group of people, that company that overcame the dragon by the blood of the Lamb and by their, the word of their testimony and by not loving their lives even unto death? And as our brother already shared with us, it's very clear that the context of the vision of a woman in labor and the dragon going after the man-child that is about, about to be born has to hold a key of understanding who is that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. Now, I just want to remind you what are some of the things our brother mentioned here before we go to what is the burden in my heart. It's an amazing vision in many ways, Revelation chapter 12. There you find the dragon after the woman. I'm not going to go into the details of the interpretation. Okay, who is that woman? We know from Scripture who is the dragon because it's plainly explained as you read the chapter that the dragon is Satan, the old serpent. But whoever that woman is, one thing should be clear. She's intimately connected to the will and purpose of God. No surprise that the dragon is opposed, is after her. Now, amazingly, what I just said is not very accurate. Because when you read closely, the dragon is not really after the woman. But the woman that is described here, she's in labor. She's pregnant and she's about to give birth. And when we read closely the words here, it says not that the dragon is after the woman. 
Actually, amazingly, it, it even appears that the dragon is not that bothered by the woman herself. But at the end of verse 4, we have the explanation of what's the real target of the dragon. We read at the end of verse 4, And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to, to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Somehow is the child that represents a threat to the dragon. Even though that woman is so clearly depicted as an entity that is connected to the will of God, there is so much that is glorious in the woman itself. She said that to be clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and with twelve stars over, over her head. And yet, somehow that's not the target of the dragon. It's the child that is about to be born that the dragon is really after. Now, if you come to think about this scene, there is something quite unexpected that happens. If you come to think of a newly born baby, right? And a terrible dragon ready to devour him. Or devour him. Naturally speaking, who is going to win that fight? You know that the picture probably it's in itself is supposed to evoke something that is an impossible situation, naturally speaking. A dragon seems to convey an, a, a, a sentiment, an idea of something far more terrible than the wildest, more violent beast that we know here on earth. And let's say that you put a newly born baby in front of a, a, a hungry lion. What is going to happen? And yet here, you don't have the baby in front of a lion, but in, fr in front of something that seems to convey something even more terrible than the worst kind of beast that we know. And of course, we know what happens. Then rather than the expected outcome, which would be destruction, annihilation, that baby instead is raptured to the throne of God. How do you describe such an unexpected scene? What is the words that can describe to us what is that? 
The word is overcoming. And that's the explanation that we find later in the chapter, in verse 11. They, meaning that man-child that was born, is not just a person, but it represents, it stands for a company, for a collectivity. And they, that company, overcame him, the dragon, by the blood of the Lamb. The whole picture, the whole vision in Revelation 12 is a picture of what overcoming is. It's not something that the man child achieved in itself. No one can rapture himself up to heaven. It's obviously a divine action. It's God Himself taking action and rapturing that child to His throne. Something that is very interesting when we read this, the way the dragon is described, is that you find that He's described as having seven heads and ten horns. And we know from the chapter that the dragon himself is Satan. We don't need to try to interpret. The Word of God already gives us the, clearly the interpretation. He is Satan. But how about those heads and the horns? Well, when we continue to read Revelation, we have the interpretation of what the heads and the horns are. The heads are said to be seven kings or seven mountains. The ten horns are also said, we are told in Revelation, that they also stand for ten other kings. In other words, when you read that the dragon, he himself has seven heads and ten horns, it's very clear that the Word of God is making a connection between Satan and that political system that is going to be here on this earth on the last days. In other words, the picture of the dragon, as we read here in Revelation, is not just Satan in himself as a spiritual person that he is. But we read of Satan in connection, intertwined, so to speak, with that system that he himself is the head of, which we know in the, world, in the Bible as the world. And I feel that the picture should be clear to all of us. What is the means that the dragon is going to use in the last days to try to devour that which is of God? What is this weapon 
even against the saints. He will use the system that he is the head of the world. When we read in Revelation, it's so clear that this world, yes, is something political. There is no question about it. But it's more than that. It's economical as well. We read that without a certain number, no one will be allowed to buy or to sell. When we read Revelation, we discover that the system is not just political and economical, but even something cultural. The whole culture and values of this world somehow are being directed behind the scenes by its head, the dragon, Satan. And now it should be clear that when we read in the Word of God that they overcame him, that overcoming includes not just the person of Satan in himself, but even the whole system that he controls that is so opposed to the Lord and his saints. It seems really interesting and, and very instructive to me that John himself, who received the revelation in chapter 12, when he later writes in his first epistle, he makes an allusion to these things. Did you pay attention to what he says in his, in his first epistle? I'll read again the verses. Chapter 5, verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And when John is saying this after he received the revelation in, in, chap, in, in Revelation chapter 12, it almost feels like there is a commentary of what is happening in that vision. Somehow it feels that that man-child, when they overcame the dragon, when they overcame the world that the dragon is the head of, at the root of that victory, at the explanation of it all, you find faith. We would like to take a look in this time we have together on this matter. It's true. When you read Revelation 12, you never find the word faith explicitly there. And however, it should be clear, I feel to us, that everything that is going on there is the, the unsaid element behind that chapter is faith. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. 
Do you see how these words, they somehow explain how the man-child of chapter 12 revelation, they overcame Satan and the world? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Hmm. Maybe you're going to say to me, I don't see faith there. I see the blood of the Lamb. Okay. But let me ask a question. The same John in his first epistle, chapter, we're not going to read it for time, but he tells us that the Lord Jesus, he died and he became a propitiation for the sins, not just ours, but of the whole world. Many of you are looking very puzzled, so I'll rather read it here. That's First John chapter two. Verse two. Talking about the Lord Jesus, our advocate with the Father. And then John says, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only. But also for those of the whole world. In other words, when our Lord Jesus shed his blood on the cross, he was making a payment, not just for your sins and mine, but for the sins of the whole world. So what does that mean? Let me ask you an obvious question. Is the whole world saved? How are we to understand it? The Lord Jesus shed his blood for the whole world. Is the whole world saved? We all know the answer to that. Of course not. It's very clear that the whole world is not saved. So what is the difference between those that are saved and those that are not? Since the Lord already shed His blood for every single person. Very simple. The difference is faith. When we somehow say, Lord, I believe you died on the cross for me, boom, you're saved. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. What does that mean? It's not just that they had a refrain and, you know, they, they say, well, uh, yeah, uh, to me the, the blood of Jesus is important and that's it. It's not just a matter of tradition that, okay, I belong to a Christian uh, religion or a Christian community, and of course, uh, I appreciate the blood of Christ. It should be clear that when it says that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, Somehow these people, by faith, they entered into the good 
of what the blood of Christ has done for us on the cross. And then he continues and says, and they overcame by the word of their testimonies. Somehow there was a word of testimony in the mouth of that man child. Now, do you see the same principle here? What is this word of testimony? Or let me say this When do you speak your testimony of the Lord Jesus? We only do that if there is that little word behind it, which is faith. Again, many of you look really puzzled here. So I think we need to back this with another scripture. If you would turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I think we can see very, very clearly the principle that I feel it's so, it should be the principle behind everything that is happening in Revelation 12. 那我认为是在启示录十二章所发生的所有事情的一种原则。Second no, Corinthians chapter five，哥林多后书第五章。We would like to read is the spirit of faith. Any, any of you spotted that? Second Corinthians chapter 5. Okay. Having the same spirit of faith. Oh, 4.13. Thank you, brother. That's exactly the word. So, verse chapter 4, verse 13. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I have believed, therefore I spoke. Do you see the principle here? What, what Paul is calling the spirit of faith? Our speaking proceeds from a believing first. That man child, they overcame because of the word, something they say, of their testimony. But the question is, what is behind the word of their testimony? The spirit of faith. I believed, therefore I spoke. How about the third reason that we are given for their victory? They are overcoming Satan. They have not loved their, their lives even unto death. I hope it's clear to all of us that none of us is going to ever be able 
to lay down our lives, except that same spirit of faith is there. See, it, if I think that death is the end of the story, I'll never give up my life. And what I mean is very simple. Our Lord Jesus calls us to follow after Him. To take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow after Him. And that means that you are not loving your life, even unto death. Now, if you truly believe that laying down your life for the Lord is the end of the story, I think you're never going to be able to do it. We can only lay down our lives if we believe that He's the Lord of Resurrection. And that laying down our lives is not the end, that there is life after death. If we don't believe that, there is not a chance that we'll truly, in a real way, lay down our lives for Him. And I'm going really quick over this, but I hope that there is uh, that somehow a picture or something is being instilled in our minds here. This man child is overcoming, and behind everything in that overcoming, there has to be real faith. Whether it is their appropriation of the blood of the Lamb, that can only happen by faith. Or whether it is the word of their testimony, it will only happen if there is the spirit of faith, I believed, therefore I spoke. Or, lay, or whether it is laying down their lives for the Lord, that can only happen if we truly believe that He's the Lord of Resurrection. That death is not the end. Now it shouldn't be then surprise that when John wrote a couple of years after he received the revelation of, of the book of Revelation, he says, This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. That spiritual element that is never mentioned explicitly in chapter 12 of Revelation, but that spiritual element that is behind everything there is faith. Now, there is one character in the Bible that somehow to me seems to be a illustration of this whole wonderful chapter 12 of Revelation. Actually, in Revelation 12, we read that this man-child, he is raptured. He's cut up in my translation. I don't know what's yours. But somehow the Lord takes him up to heaven. 
那我们知道在启示录第十二章，我们就看到这个男孩他被提了。And I feel that for us to understand this, we have to turn to that character in the Bible that is the first character mentioned in connection to rapture.那如果我们要明白这个被提的话，我们就能够看到，我们需要能，我们需要看到在圣经第一次提到被提的那个人物。So the little quiz. What is the first sign the word of God mentions rapture? And I don't know if it's the exact word, but definitely the idea. What's the first mention of it? Enoch, of course. And I'm so glad our brother Joe of Manhattan, so recently, maybe a month ago or so, he was here in our midst and he shared with us on the life of Enoch. Now, just Enoch. Somehow to me, Enoch seems to be an illustration of all the spiritual principles that we find in Revelation chapter 12. He's one that overcame, and therefore he was raptured, taking up to God. And behind it all, according to the explanation, in Hebrews chapter 11, behind it all, you find that little word again, faith. By faith, Enoch was taken up, so he should not see death. Our brother shared in a wonderful way with us a couple of weeks ago. So I feel that my job here is very simple. It's just recapping a couple of things. But as we review his life, we want to do it under that very specific light of overcoming. Our brother, when he was here, he even read the very short account of Enoch's life that we find in the, in the Old Testament. Just four verses, that's it. And then we have two, two passages in the New Testament that make an allusion to him. And yet, in those just four verses, in Genesis chapter 5, there is so much that we can know about Enoch. And specifically, in the matter that he was an overcomer. Now, it's very famous actually. Everybody here, or a lot of you, just answer like this. Okay, first rapture, easy. Enoch. And it's also very clear, even from reading the verses in Genesis, that behind that rapture, that is somehow connected to the fact that he walked with the Lord. But what sometimes, when we just read the account in Genesis 5, what sometimes is not that clear, perhaps, is that behind his walk with the Lord and his eventual rapture, you find that spirit of faith. 
And thank the Lord, the book of Hebrews makes it very, very clear. By faith, Enoch was taken up. So I'd like to read again the, 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 the very short account of his life given to us in Genesis chapter 5. Starting from verse 21. And Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah and had other, other sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So something very clear at face value in this passage is that somehow his walking with the Lord seems connected with his rapture, and indeed is, and indeed is. 那二十四节，我们就很清楚的看到，诺与神同行，那他被提是与他这个与神同行是有关系的。But the question is, when that walk, when that walk with the Lord really began？那问题就是，他这个与神同行是什么时候开始的呢？So if you remember what our brother shared with us a couple of weeks ago, uh, even reading this passage, it's clear when is that pivotal moment in his life. When he begins to walk with the Lord. We read that when he was 65 years old, he, gave, uh, he was, became the father of Methuselah. And verse 22 says so clearly, then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. So, do you remember our brother mentioned there is a reason for something happened at the birth of Methuselah that caused a change in Enoch and is the reason why he began to walk with God. What was that? Well, those that understand Hebrew, they will help us here. Because the name Methuselah in itself contains the idea that changed Enoch's life. The word Methuselah in Hebrew simply means when he is taken, it will come. Which sounds a little enigmatic. When he, that's Methuselah himself, when he is taken, it will come. So, what will come when Methuselah is taken? In other words, when he dies. And as you remember our brother sharing with us, 
if you just do the math, which is a simple math to do, you there is no way to to mistake what's the what what is that thing that will come. 那如果你用去算的话，这个你即将要来的这个事情，我很我们很清楚能够看到。We know that Methuselah he lived 969 years. 那我们知道马祖沙拉。And if you just do the math, which is a pretty simple one, by the way, you know that in the year that he died, the flood came. If you just do the math, which is a pretty simple one, by the way, you know that in the year that he died, the flood came. If you just do the math, Somehow the Lord showed him that he was going to bring judgment upon this world. And that judgment was the flood that was going to come. And that came in the days of Noah. But that flood came to the year exactly 969 years later. After Methuselah was born, which is the, the year of its death. 那就是在马祖沙拉死的那年，就是九百六十九六九年之后。So do you see what is that pivotal moment when Enoch began to walk with the Lord? 那你们是否看到那个关键，也就是啊，这个以诺开始与神同行呢 ？The Lord revealed to him, "I'm going to bring judgment." 那神向他启示启示说，我将审判带到世上。And that revelation, it didn't just become A theory or information in Enoch's mind. That revelation transformed his life. That revelation, so to speak, was a wake-up call in his life. And he allowed that revelation to transform his life. And because of that, he began to walk with God. How do you describe that? Our little word, faith. Enoch just did not just receive the theory or the doctrine of, okay, of coming judgment and continue to live business as usual. No. When the Lord gave him that revelation, that had a, an effect upon his walk, upon his life. When he received that revelation, it started to affect his life. By faith, Enoch was taken up. Now, you may, sometimes when we read in a, in, at a glance this, his life, We may not realize the days in which he was living. That if we read very quickly, we often won't understand how his life was. Perhaps we may think, well, he was living. You know, he had an advantage over us. We are living in these crazy days when you know everything is so polluted, so messy, and so corrupt. But he was living just, you know, in the beginning with so much birds, the wonders of nature. So we would like to ask, what kind of base he was really living in? That we just ask the question, it's quite interesting because we know that the life of Enoch is given us in those four 
short verses we read is in a genealogy in chapter 5 of Genesis. the genealogy of Seth. And you have 10 persons in that genealogy, starting from Adam and going to Noah. Enoch is number seven in that generation, in, in, in that genealogy. He's the seventh generation from Adam. Or just three generations until the flood. So as a matter of fact, we may think that he lived in very wonderful days. Nature was so wonderful. The, the earth was probably not as crowded as today and all that. But actually, he was living very, very close to the flood. He was living in the beginning of the days of corruption that culminated on the judgment of the flood. We may think that his environment was conducive to a walk with the Lord. Everything would help him, you know, nature and uh, an easy life. But when we look closely at the Word of God, the picture is quite different. Enoch was the seventh generation from Adam through Seth. But when you read chapter 4 of Genesis, a chapter before the, the account of Enoch's life, we have another genealogy given to us there. Because of time, we cannot read it. It's the genealogy through Cain. And we remember that Cain was the first murderer. And he, after he murdered his brother Abel, he removed himself from the presence of the Lord. And with him begins a whole civilization. In chapter 4 of Genesis, we, we have an account of that civilization. And there are very impressive things in that civilization. They had economical development. They began to raise cattle for a profit. They were paying attention to arts and they started, they developed musical instruments. They became, became builders, they built cities. And things not so good also happened. They developed something that is the war, the weapons of war. And you find that the seventh person in that genealogy is a certain Lamech. And that Lamech or Lamech, I'm sorry, I don't know what it is. Uh, everybody's silent, I'll pick Lamech. Uh, that person, which is the seventh generation through Cain, probably 
he is in the same days of of Enoch. 那他是与以诺是大概是同一个时期的。Well, when you read the story of this land, you find that something went terribly wrong. 那你如果仔细看拉麦的这个故事的话，你就发现一件事情，就是。But perhaps I'll just read verse 19 of chapter 4. And Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. Lamech 娶了两个妻子，一个叫亚大，一个名叫希拉。So this Lamech is the first person that breaks God's institution of marriage, and he institutes polygamy. 那拉麦是第一个，就是开始娶多妻的这个制度。And we have an indication of the deterioration of the moral condition of the days. 那我们就看到那时候他们的这个道德的观念就开始走下坡。But please keep in mind, he's a contemporary of Enoch, the seventh, pretty much as Enoch was. 那他与以诺是这个同一个时期的。And not only that, from the names of his wives, we can also gather something. 那你看到他的妻子的这个名字，我们也大概也能够明白一些东西。Hebrew scholars tells us that Ada probably means adornment, beauty. 那亚大的意思就是这个啊，这个这个衣着就是就是装饰装饰品。That's one of his wives. 啊，就是啊，他的他的一个妻子。So of course there is nothing wrong in adornment and beauty. 那说他爱爱美的话，或是爱漂亮，或是装饰的话，没有什么问题。Except that when you read this, the impression that you get is that that became The obsession or the reason, the main thing of that society. 但是我们仔细读着下去的话，就变成说这变成了一个问题，这个社社社会里面的一个问题。And then the second wife, her name is also very meaningful. 那她第二个妻子的名字也是非常有意思。Because Zila means pleasure in Hebrew. 那希拉的意思就是啊，就是就是嗯，就是。And that should give us a picture of what kind of days Enoch lived in. 那我们大概就是能够看到啊，这个以诺他当时活的日子是如何。Where the society of his days was oriented to the the seek of pleasure and the seek of worldly affairs. 那他当时的世界就是讲到这个啊，就取自己，就是让自己取自己喜悦的一件事情。As if that is not enough, then Lamech makes makes his his little speech here at the end of chapter four. 那这个在四章的末了，拉麦也在那边讲到，也也讲他在。And we find that in verse twenty three. 那二十三节我们看到。It says this. The Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zila, listen to my voice. You wives of Lamech, give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Lamech 对他两个妻子说：“亚大、希拉，听我的声音。拉麦的妻子，细听我的话语。少年人伤我，我把他杀了；少年人损我，我把他害了。啊，若该隐遭报七倍，杀拉麦必遭倍，必必遭报七十七倍。” Sometimes we read this and it sounds enigmatic to us. That's a term like so, 好像变成好像很是一个谜 But as a matter of fact, this is a poem actually, and this poem is just an expression of defiance against God. 那这个其实是一个诗，那这个诗就是讲到就是
You remember that when Cain killed his brother, the Lord put a curse on him. And Cain was so terrified about the curse that the Lord had to give him a special protection. And the Lord said that if anyone killed Cain, there would be a sevenfold vengeance on that person. But you see what Lamech is saying here? He's making an allusion to that. But he's essentially saying this. Listen, a guy, he heard me, I killed him. Because his son invented the sword. We didn't read it for time. That is his son, the son of Lamech. So he was using that for his own, in his own way. And a boy, he strike me, I killed him. And then he says, if Cain is going to be avenged sevenfold, I'm going to avenge myself seventy times seven. In a sense, he's saying, I have the sword, I can defend myself, and I will. So here is this man in defiance against God Himself, the Creator of man that created us at His image. Brothers and sisters, these are the days, these were the days where Enoch found himself in. Do you see that the world around him, there was nothing conducive to spiritual life in that world? And yet, in that environment, is that Enoch received a revelation. There will be judgment. And Enoch responded to that revelation. How did he respond? By faith. He believed the word of the, the word of the Lord. He allowed that word to change his life. He allowed that word to define the priorities of his life. Some of the things around Enoch were really terrible and corrupt. There is no question about it. But other things were very attractive. It's a time when civilization was developing with business, with culture, many attractive things that he could have pursued. But what did Enoch do? He believed the word of the Lord. And he allowed that revelation to affect his daily life in a very practical way. Rather than pursuing the world around him and all the attractive, attractiveness that it had in those days, Enoch walked with God. Brothers and sisters, I hope you can see that as we remember what, what the, the author of the Hebrews tells us, behind all this in Enoch's life is that little word again, faith. 希望你们能够看到希伯来书的作者所看到所讲到的这件事情，就在
How do we explain that Enoch was able to turn his back to that world and to walk with God? How do we explain that at the end of it all he was taken up? It's not an independent, unrelated event that he, you know, of course not. It's the culmination of a life of faith, a walk with the Lord. Now there is, I just want to close with a very important question. How are we to understand faith? I feel we live in, a, in, in days where there is, even among the Lord's people, there is a lot of confusion about what's the real, in essence, what is the real idea behind faith? Oftentimes we hear people referring to faith as essentially some sort of positive attitude. We may think that faith is some sort of, you know, wishful thinking. I really want this. I really think that things are going to go, you know, go for the best. And the Word of God has nothing to do with that concept of faith. What is faith according to the Word of God? Very interestingly, I think Enoch's life provides us a definition that goes to the very core of what faith is. The verse we read in Hebrews is actually very, very famous. And it says, For without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now let me ask you, have you ever noticed that that verse is given to us as an explanation of Enoch's life? I have to be honest with you. I've been reading that forever, and oftentimes I am not kind of putting one and one together and see, wait a second, this verse is explaining Enoch's experience, and it should be my experience as well. When Hebrew says that by faith Enoch was taken up, it follows immediately with verse 6, which says, because without faith it's impossible to please them. So Enoch's life stands as a testimony of one that pleased God by faith. But what does that mean? And then when we continue to read verse 6, we understand what it means. The author to the Hebrews by the Holy Spirit, he continues and says, as an explanation, for without faith it is impossible to please God, for it is necessary that he who draws near to God believes that he is. Uh, 
我是我是罪人。Again,at I am your peace. I am your power. I am everything you need. Everything in Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is. That explains Enoch's life. He was in the midst of a society. There were so many things he could have pursued in that society. But he believed rather that everything he needed, all his sufficiency, was in God Himself. Do you see what is faith? At the end of the day, faith is a living relationship with a person, our Lord Himself. We believe that He is our sufficiency. Everything we need, He is. But this is very practical, brothers and sisters. It's not just a doctrine in our minds. Because as the verse continues, it says that then, when you believe that He is, you're going to know and believe that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. In other words, if you believe that He is, you're going to seek Him with all your heart. And isn't that exactly the testimony of Enoch's life? Because he believed God is, he turned his back to the world of his day. And he sought the Lord with all his heart. How do we know that? Enoch walked with God. 
Dear brothers and sisters, I feel that is the testimony of one that overcame the world. His overcoming is not in himself. His overcoming is because he connected in a living way with the Lord and walked with him. I'll just close reminding you something that to me is amazing. What, what we just read in John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5. Let's read again this verse. 1 John chapter 5. Because I feel that it's exactly the same that Hebrews is saying. Here you have, incidentally, another definition of faith. So again, the two verses we read is John 5, verse 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. If John had stopped here, probably we could go our own kind of crazy way of thinking, yeah, I need to have more positive thinking, a better attitude. Because sometimes we equate faith with just having a good attitude or hoping for the best. But you see that John goes ahead and he explains exactly why he, what he means by faith here. Verse 5. And who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you see what is faith? It's believing that the Lord Jesus is everything. He is the Son. You believe He is. And that is faith. That living relationship with Him. That is so beautifully depicted in Enoch's life. A walk with the Lord. And you see the idea here is not something that is getting stale as we can so easily fall into. It's not that I believe that he's my savior 30 years ago and now that became a tradition and that's it. If we believe that he is, this is going to affect my day today. We are going to find in Him our sufficiency today. And that is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith, which is rooted in Him who is the Son of God. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the wonderful testimony of Enoch. We thank you, Lord, because he is the one that believed that you are, Lord. And in that way, became a testimony of someone that overcame the world in his day. Lord, we pray that as we find ourselves in days that are so similar,
in a in a time, Lord, that is completely opposed to you. So, can you help us all, Lord Jesus, to have that fresh vision of yourself? That we may see with the eyes of eyes of our heart, Lord, that indeed Jesus is the Son of God. And we pray, Lord, for such spirit that somehow lays hold of you yourself. Help us that in these last days, Lord, we may be found in a living relationship with you before your coming. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.